Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett thanking you for listening to the broadcast today. And today is actually a two-part broadcast, and we're going to be talking about Daniel's prayer for his nation. Now, I want you to know that God's Word is very clear on how we should pray. Daniel gives us a wonderful example of how he prayed for his nation. I hope that you have an aha moment, and I will have some steps that will help you to keep on praying, even in the most difficult times. And I want you to know that when we look at this prayer that Daniel gave in Daniel chapter 9, things were not looking good for Daniel. He wasn't in a good position. Uh, He was under Babylonian captivity. And so let me give you a little bit of background information as to where we're going today, because I think this is very poignant, because uh, we're living at a time right now, we are watching a war take place. And, uh, you know, it seems like there's always a war somewhere, but right now, uh, as you know, Russia is invading Ukraine. Did you know that New York City has the largest Ukrainian population in the United States? There's a community of about 150,000 Uh, that have come to the United States as Christian refugees that are in New York City. And and most of them are Baptist or Pentecostal. And they're under this special uh, fleeing from the Soviets because of religious persecution. As President Vladimir Putin has put his nuclear forces on high alert, some American Ukrainians took to the streets to join and to protest against Putin's invasion. But most likely... These followers of Jesus gathered in churches to pray, to weep, to lament, and to sing to God. They are calling their praise songs weapons of war. You know, as this nuclear threat escalates, and and who knows, by the time uh, you are listening to this broadcast, maybe Putin's already done something crazy. I don't know. I hope and pray that he hasn't. But as the nuclear threat escalates, this whole level of disbelief about how quickly Uh, This situation has spiraled. It's mind-boggling. One church leader told Christianity Today, you know, our minds fail to understand how is this even possible in this day and age? We know that God allowed this to happen, and we do not know why he has allowed to happen, but we know that God is sovereign, that he is in control. He is on the throne. There are people who think if they kill someone, it will accomplish a goal. One of the worship leaders of a Ukrainian church says, Our hope is in the Lord, the one who holds things together. No matter how things fall apart, the Lord created this world, and he holds things in his hand. Uh, This worship leader played music and, and led worship, and his eyes are filled with tears. But he has also told his church family, even if a nuclear attack happens, the hope we have is we go home, and we'll be together with Jesus the one we know who will keep us. Oh, I want you to know right now, in the uncertainty of where our nation is, in the uncertainty of what is happening over in the Middle East, this is a great time to share your faith. I want you to know that the enemy wants you to think wrongly. I mean, he doesn't care what you think, just as long as you don't think the truth thoughts. He he wants you to think false thoughts. And if you are thinking false thoughts, untrue thoughts, man, that's his goal, right? Because his goal is to get you to quit. The enemy comes to kill, to lie, and destroy, right? That's his modus of operandi. And he wants you to think wrong. And I think one of the things that the enemy is is really working on on the hearts of many Christians is is to think wrong about evangelism. Uh, This is what Tim Keller said on evangelism. And maybe this will help you because it's helped me because I want to share the gospel wherever I go. 
He said, number one, as if you want to share the gospel, uh, let people around you know you are a Christian in a natural way, you know, an unforced way. And, and so one of the things I do when I go out to eat, for example, I'll, I'll uh, sit down and, uh, and, and as I'm uh, looking over the menu, the, you know, the waitress will always come over and say, hey, what would you like, like to drink? And, um, and, and I says, uh, you know, I usually have water with lemon in it or something and, or iced tea. And, and, uh, and I said, now, uh, I always ask her, I said, now, uh, you know, in just a minute, uh, I'm going to give thanks for my meal. And I said, you know, I'm so thankful uh, that you're going to be taking care of me today. And, uh, and, and, and I want to let you know that just in a minute, I'm going to pray. Is there anything that I can pray for you about? Uh, now, oftentimes when I do this, I get more feedback than I anticipated, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> I was just hoping to say, well, can you pray for my, my health or can you pray for my family? You know, something general. Uh, but oftentimes I get very specific prayer requests. And, and sometimes they're heart wrenching. Uh, and sometimes God opens that up as an opportunity for me to share the gospel with that person. So let people around you know that you're Christian. Secondly, ask friends about their faith. And then just listen, right? Just listen. Uh, and, and if you're like me, you, you tend to talk too much, right? And so just listen uh, when you ask somebody about their faith. Find out what they believe. Uh, number three, listen to their problems. Uh, maybe offer to pray for them. Hear people out, right? Uh, number four. Then share your problems with others and testify to how your faith has helped you to navigate through your problems. Uh, you know, this the other day, I, uh, my son is in a hospital up in Connecticut, and, and uh, you know, it's a long drive from, uh, from Moyoc, North Carolina, to New Britain, Connecticut. It's nine hours, nine and a half hours, sometimes 10 hours, uh, depending on traffic. And, and so I drove all the way up to Connecticut and only to be refused a visit, right, because of some technicality. And, and uh, I tell you what, I almost lost my cool, almost lost my testimony. And, uh, and so uh, I just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pray, right? <laughs> I'm going to pray. And I shared with uh, the person, I said, now listen, I, I drove all night to see my, my son. I didn't know about this policy change that you have. And, uh, and, and it didn't change the outcome, unfortunately. But I tell you who it changed. It changed me. Uh, it changed my response because I was about to give her a piece of my mind, right? And then I got thinking about that. I said, man, I can't afford to give anybody a piece of my mind. I need every bit of my mind that I have. And, and so I said, okay, Lord, just calm my spirit. Allow me to respond in a Christ-like fashion. Well, here's another way that you can share the gospel. Uh, give people a good book to read, uh, maybe a short book and, uh, and, and how to be born again, a short book about, uh, you know, what Christ has done for people. And, and uh, so there's lots of good little short books that you can give them to read. And number six, share your testimony. You know, they may not believe the Bible. Uh, as you're talking to somebody, say, well, I don't believe that ancient book called the Bible. And, and that's fine. Okay. Uh, but what they can't argue with is your testimony. That's your story. It's what happened to you. Uh, they can't deny it because it's not their story. It's your story. And just say, hey, this is my life before Christ. This is what happened when I met Christ. And this has been my life since I've met Christ. There's three parts to your testimony before Christ, what Christ has done for you, and after Christ, and the change that has been made in your life. And then number seven, answer objections and questions. You know, if they have a question, hey, I have a hard time believing Whatever, right? A answer that objection or that question. And then number eight, invite them to a church event. Uh, we just came through Easter, and uh, we did twice as many services as we usually do on Easter Sunday. We usually do two, and we did four on Easter Sunday because we encourage our people 
to invite guests to come to worship. And so we did a Saturday night service, and then we did three services on Sunday, and then we even did something that is unspiritual. We had an Easter egg hunt on Easter Sunday morning, and uh, we felt like, hey, that's a good way to get people to church. They're going to bring their kids. And uh, and so I told our, our team, I said, now, I suspect that the 9 o'clock service is going to be the most well-attended because right after the 9 o'clock service is our Easter egg hunt. And I began our 9 o'clock service, and I said, you know, I'm going to very— uh, inevitable uh, position. I said, because the only thing holding you back from the Easter egg hunt is me. And uh, and so as we gathered on Easter Sunday, we had a blast and, and uh, we had well over 100 kids that participated in the Easter egg hunt, but we got their families into the church and they heard the gospel and, and some decisions were made on Easter Sunday. So invite people to a church event. Uh, number nine, offer to read the Bible with them. You know, a lot of times people have never even picked up the Bible. And a lot of times they don't know what's in there because they've never read it. So offer to read a a portion of Scripture with them. Uh, You know, whenever I uh, am sharing the gospel with people, I I try to uh, point the Bible verse to them where it says that we're saved by grace through faith and not not of yourselves is a gift of God. And I point to it and I quote it and I read it to them and they can see it right in front of them. Uh, That does something. You know, uh, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, it's the word of God that will bring about conviction. It's not our fine sounding arguments, right? Uh, We're not that good. Uh, It is through the word of God that brings about conviction. And then take them through a course that explores the faith. Uh, We do a course called Starting Points. And uh, in that course, it's actually uh, the first step that you go through to become a member. Uh, In that course, we explore why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We explore uh, why we believe Jesus is who He claims to be. And and we just go through these things step by step. And uh, so it's a great course to help them uh, understand what the Bible says about salvation. So these are some tools that I think will help you in sharing your faith. Now, as we look at the prayer of Daniel today, uh, again, this is a two-part message. I want to encourage you to just keep on praying. We're told to pray without ceasing, Paul said. But in order to help us with this, I want you to imagine that you're 15 years old. Your country is invaded by Russia. It's a scary time. You are separated from your family, and you have no idea where they are or what will happen to them. Your family is a God-fearing family, and You always were going to church, you remember praying and reading the scriptures. Uh, Your family served faithfully in the church, and and you went to different events, different festivals, and and you were told from the time that you were born that God takes care of you because he loves you, and you are a chosen person. But your world is rocked, and you find yourself in a distant land, and you discover you're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) Everything has changed for the worse. No more freedom to worship, no more freedom of speech, no more freedom to eat what you want to eat or come and go as you please. You are now in bondage. That's exactly where Daniel finds himself, living among a group of people who had no relationship with his God. It is a very dark time for Daniel. God was very patient with his people, and God's patience with his people finally ran out. And the reason that Daniel finds himself in this captivity known as the Babylonian captivity is because for 400 years, God had been very patient with his people. As we look at the book of Daniel for the next uh, next two broadcasts, we learn that Daniel 
and some of his friends find themselves in Babylonian captivity. Why? Because uh, there's, there's two primary reasons why they find themselves in this situation. And it's not because the Babylonians are so strong. Every nation that falls always falls from within. You know, we don't really need to worry as Americans of being overtaken by the forces of evil, uh, overtaken by terrorists. If we fall, when we fall, we will fall from within first. And then God lifts up his protection around our nation And then he allows the enemy to come through. That's exactly what we see here with the Babylonian captivity. For 400 years, God's people were disobedient. You see, they violated the word of God in regards to a Sabbath rest every single year. Now, now let me explain how this works, because there's, there's two primary reasons that Daniel finds them in this Babylonian captivity. Reason number one is because they violated the Sabbath. Reason number two is they stopped worshiping God. Well, let's look at reason number one. Uh, This is how it was working. On the seventh year, they knew that it was a Sabbath rest year. Every seventh year, they would have to prepare ahead of time naturally, set aside some money, set aside some seed, set aside some harvest, because when the seventh year comes, every seventh year, you had to prepare to worship the Lord, and you would give the land rest. Okay, after these seven cycles— At the end of that seventh cycle, you'd have the land rest. You would do this for seven cycles. So seven times seven is 49. So for 490 years, the nation of Israel violated this Sabbath rest. And what was supposed to happen at the end of that 490th year was the year of Jubilee. This was the the, the 50th year of Jubilee, okay? Uh, It was called the year of Jubilee when the debts were canceled. Uh, So the word Jubilee literally means the ram's horn. Uh, It is defined in Leviticus 25, verse 9, as a sabbatical year after seven cycles of seven years, 49 years, uh, was gone through. Uh, So we discover that the nation of Israel went through seven times seven cycles, which equals the 490 years of them not observing the Sabbath. And it's kind of heart-wrenching when you think about it. God was very patient. You know, after the first violation of the 50-year jubilee, you would think they would have said, hey, hey, guys, you know, it's been 50 years, and and we've been violating seven times this Sabbath rest, and and now we're at the year of jubilee, and we're violating this because we're not resting on this. We're not forgiving anybody's debt. But they just keep on barreling through. God keeps on blessing them. And for 490 years, this is what happens. So God says, okay, enough is enough. Because you have violated this seven times 10, it ends ends up being 10 cycles, you will be in captivity for 70 years. But I said there's a second thing that God was holding them responsible for, and that was that they stopped worshiping God, right? Not only did they violate Jubilee, and not only did they violate the Sabbath rest, the seven-year rest, They no longer even showed up to come to worship because they were all worshiping something else. (laughs) Uh, The people of Judah find a strange fascinating with worshiping pagan idols and, and, uh, and, and the pagan nations around them. God, in essence, is saying, I can't cure you of your addiction to idols, so I'm going to take you to where they had their origin. I'm going to take you back to their source. Oh, you love to worship these Babylonian idols, do you? 
I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you into captivity with the Babylonians. So for 70 years, you can experience those idols that you so desperately want to serve. Now, I think about our culture today. Maybe you're listening to me to say, well, I don't think I need to go to church. I don't need to worship with other believers. I'm I'm just listening to the radio or listen online to to good preaching, and I don't need to be. You you stop showing up for worship. Maybe you no longer have that Sabbath rest, right? Will you take one day a week and you and you rest and you worship? Instead, you're so busy with other things like sports and and other hobbies and and, and maybe you're working seven days a week and and you have no time because your God, your idol, has become your career. Maybe your idol has become your hobby, and you're worshiping that. You know when you think about a life that is filled with me and not Jesus. And let's change that. And let's change it to a life filled with Jesus and not me. When you think about a life that is filled with my comforts and not his commission, let's change it to his commission, not my comforts first. You think about preferences, a life that is filled with my preferences and not his purposes, but let's change that. Let's change that to his purposes and not my preferences. You know, sometimes people drop out of church for a preference. Well, I don't like the music, and and I don't like one little thing, so they drop out. Listen, set aside your preference and look at the bigger purpose as to why we gather together to worship. Somebody came to me one time and says, you know, Pastor, I don't like the music at Hickory Ridge Community Church. I said, you know what? I don't like it either. And they looked at me kind of funny, and I said, but you know what happens when we worship together? I get off what I like and what I don't like, and it gets my heart on God, and it gets my heart ready for the message. And all of a sudden, what I don't like, I start liking because I realize that God has sent a team together and they do a fa- an amazing job. They're very talented. They do a great job leading us in the presence. Uh, sometimes it may not be in the genre that you like. And maybe you're one that says, ah, I don't want to be singing these hymns. And that's nothing wrong with hymns. Uh, every once in a while, we sing a hymn or there, but don't let that keep you out of church. Realize it that it's God's purposes that must prevail. Uh, maybe you're listening today and says, well, uh, I want to do things my way, right? Uh, how about not my way, but but his word leading me? Now let's change it to say his word, not my way. Because I've discovered something about being a follower of Christ. If you decide not to follow him, he will obligate you in that. He said, okay, if you don't want to serve me, you don't have to serve me. You see, the Babylonians swept into Judah and into Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, they find themselves in the middle of the Babylonian captivity. Those Babylonians, they were shrewd, and they went in and they picked out the finest of Jerusalem, and they picked out Daniel and other uh, guys who were not defiled and the strongest and, and, and the youngest and the most vibrant and and we discover that this is where Daniel finds himself. And, and as a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 1, uh, to give his background before we get into his prayer in, in chapter 9, it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, look, as he resolved not to defile himself, he made a decision before the temptation came. He says, I'm not going to do it. I know what I believe and why I believe it, and I know what line I will not cross. And he says, I'm not going to eat that royal food. I'm not going to eat that wine. And so the first thing he did is he asked for permission 
not to defile himself. And then verse 9, chapter 1, now God has caused the official to sow favor and compassion to them. Oh, I love that. God put somebody in favor. That official was put in favor with Daniel, but the official told Daniel, man, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Then Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, please, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearances with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said, as a matter of fact, uh, as I'm recording this broadcast, I'm doing a, a modified Daniel diet, right? And uh, my wife said, I need to lose a little bit of weight because uh, my son's getting ready to get married. And, and I bought a, a, a new suit a year ago for my daughter's wedding. And now my son's getting married. And she said, you got to lose a little weight, honey, because we're not buying you another suit. And so I got to drop a little weight. And I said, well, I'm going to use this as a spiritual exercise as well. And so I'm doing a modified Daniel diet. Hey, listen, if you want more information about the Daniel diet, I want you to give me a call. I'd love to talk to you about uh, what uh, that Daniel diet is all about. Give me a call at 757-421-7500, 757-421-7500, and uh, I'll share with you what the Daniel diet is all about. But Daniel was a student of the scripture, and he built his prayers around the word of God. So his example of praying for his nation is how we should be praying. So I hope you join me for part two of this message tomorrow because I can't give it to you all in the remaining moments that we have. But when you think about praying, nobody is a firmer believer in prayer than the devil himself. Let me repeat that. Nobody is a firmer believer in prayer than the devil himself. Not that he prays, but he suffers the consequences of God's people who pray. So the background to Daniel's prayer for his nation, in chapter number eight, he has just had a vision of what the near future was going to hold and what the distant future was going to hold. You know, God loves to reveal himself to us during our times of calamity, but only if we refuse to allow the calamity to overwhelm us and overcome us. You see, many times when circumstances go south, we go south. And we get discouraged and we get defeated and we, and we close off the lines of communication with God. And God wants to reveal himself to us in the middle of calamity. This vision, this dream that Daniel is given in chapter number eight was so intense, was so graphic that after he saw this vision, he was sick for several days. Now, Daniel, by the time we get into chapter number nine and chapter number eight, he's no longer a young man that he was in chapter number one. He's getting some age on him. He has maintained his strong relationship with God. Uh, and we were talking about chapter number one and chapter number eight. Uh, Daniel has gone from about the age 15 to 16, and now he is, is well in, into his 80s, probably. And Daniel, no longer a young man, is, he's maintained his strong relationship with God in the midst of this captivity. I mean, he's in a really tight spot. He's been in a really tight spot for a long time, but he gets this vision, and his vision really disturbs him. 
he sees two things in his vision. In chapter 8, Jerusalem will be taken captive by the Babylonians, and then after 70 years, Babylon would fall, and it would be a wasteland forever. Daniel does some calculations, and he realizes he's getting near the end of this captivity. So there's eight symptoms of a motivated prayer life. Daniel kind of has this aha moment after he does some studying and he realizes that when he prays, number one, he's motivated by the word of God. Daniel 9.2 says that the word came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. His first understanding of prayer is that I've got to be praying the word, motivated by the word. You know, in our prayer time on Thursday mornings, we're going through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, And I Google in the word pray in Bible Gateway. I I just type in the word pray. And every time that word pray appears, we pray that verse. It's been unbelievable the joy we've had in praying this prayer. Listen, when you pray the word of God, you know that you're praying in the will of God. So please join me tomorrow. I'm going to explain to you why Daniel was so motivated to pray the word of God. Now listen, if I can help you, please give me a call. 757-421-7500. Leave a message if I'm not there. I'll call you back as soon as I can. If you need help in any way, please give me a call. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.